0: Well, welcome. I'm so excited to have the global honoree for the Regenerative Business Prize as a result of the Regenerative Business Summit. Ron and Jan, would you please introduce yourself, the role you play in the organization, and tell us a little bit about your business just so people know what you do.
1: Uh, I'm Jan Dietrich, and I'm president of our company. It's Rincon, Vitova, and And uh, We've been uh, in business since the 1960s, growing and selling beneficial insects for biological pest control.
2: My um, name's Ron Whitehurst, and I'm uh, the uh, technical expert here at Rincon Vitova Insectories. I'm a what's called a pest control advisor. And um, I uh, work with farmers and gardeners and so on to help them um, uh, work with nature basically to identify. The beneficial insects that they can release on their farms to be able to control the pest. So there, there's no need to use toxic pesticides to control the pest, and and to grow good food, fiber, or flowers, you know, so that they can, um, you know, make a good living.
0: So that pretty much described generally what your business is, I think. The real question would be why this business? Why now? I mean, you started in the, the 60s and you're still there and you're thriving. Why, why this business? Why, given what's happening in the world right now?
2: As we can see, there, we have this incredible widespread degradation of the environment from the overuse of toxic pesticides. Uh, uh, synthetic fertilizers, the herbicides, and the spectrum pesticides on the farmland of the Midwest. So now wherever they look, they find Roundup in uh, people's blood, in the mother's milk, in um, uh, the air, and uh, water, soil. It's, it's all over the place. The uh, soil has lost its ability to absorb water. So when it rains, the water runs off and down into the uh, Gulf of Mexico, in the, the heartland of the United States, and um, uh, pollutes the, um, the, the Gulf. There's, um, very, it, it's very hard to grow a good crop on this, this damaged soil other than you know, continuing to use the, the toxic uh, fertilizers, and pesticides, and herbicides. So uh, there's a uh, kind of a global heads up that, oh, we need to change something. And with the catastrophic climate change that we're seeing now, if we don't do something soon, then, then we will lose the ability to grow good food. And so it's, it's nice to have good food, but then if you can't grow any food at all because of too much water, too little water, or um, uh, too hot, too cold, you know, then um, that rises to a level of consequence.
1: When my father started the business, and it was actually in the '50s, he was moonlighting out of our garage at, while he was at the university. And he, he um, uh, you know, DDT uh, and Dieldrin, all those and uh, hydrocarbons were. Uh, I mean, you couldn't see pelicans anymore on on the coast of California. Uh, people were really figuring out how serious the pesticides of that day were. And so the why was quite compelling uh, for him to figure out a way to share a different method with growers. And he left the university with five kids and, uh, and uh, start, struck out as the first person to be an entrepreneur selling beneficial insects. And uh, it, it was it was responsive to the biggest crops too. I mean, the why of where he started was cotton, and, and cotton in the Sonoran Desert was like uh, using massive and still uses massive amounts of of toxic pesticide. But uh, over over the years, the um, you know there there hasn't been the takeoff you know that you would expect, um, and and then. I have to say, I wondered why myself uh, over the last like four years or so, looking at the prognosis about global warming, and um, and I, I, I put a lot more of my attention on being a climate activist to, as of, compared to running the business. But um, you know what? What? What we come to accept is that we need to keep this technology alive and spreading for you know because you can't even have good soil sequestering carbon without when you're when you're polluting it
0: so So, i think it might be helpful to um our listeners if you would give us a picture of how this works Uh, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, I don't understand how you raise insects and then how you get them to people. And maybe tell us the story of one farmer or large garden operation and how they make it work, you know, so we can get a picture of why this works, how it works and why it works.
1: Well, half of our business is actually fly control and a little more than half. And so uh, this may surprise you, Carol, but you know, our top customers in that are like burning downs and, uh, Los Alamitos and the the racetracks with a lot of money and a very strong motivation to not have flies around their expensive horses and, you know, fancy riders and trainers and so on. So, um, and, and so it's a, it's a kind of a easy example of the, of a, of a story of how how we do this because we have to grow lots of flies millions and millions of flies and every insect if people don't know it has you know four stages, but we we have to have a, a kind of a, a mechanical way of handling all four stages of, a, of the host the pest and the beneficial so you know, with flies, we have cages that hold adult flies. We have little dishes that they lay their eggs in. We collect their eggs every day, and we, we make a kind of a uh, artificial manure uh, in, in trays that we put this, the fly eggs in. They grow into maggots. Then they very uh, uh, conveniently separate themselves by a, a, a process so, I, so that the pupae come out. Then we take the pupae over to another whole system where we grow the wasp that lays its egg inside of the fly pupa, and um, that that little wasp egg then develops inside the fly pupa into a larva and then into a pupa and then into adult wasp, eating the inside of its own pupil case. We ship those out. Again, it's a convenient system. The fly pupa is the packaging for the beneficial. <laughs> and, then, and, 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 and that little wasp cuts a hole in the end of that fly pupa, squeezes out, and starts hopping around in, in the manure and decaying organic matter looking for, for fly pupae. Did that, that give
0: you a good picture? Yeah, no, it's very graphic. I got it. That's great. Then <laughs> okay. Tell me, what happens, tell me what happens when it gets to the horse racing place. So now it's yeah. where they are. What's happening? Oh, it's, it's so amazing.
1: Um, this Some of these wasps and flies in nature have a biological radar for finding their host. And... Many of them are extremely specific. Um, you know, the principle, the the regenerative principle of singularity, it really comes out in our business because this wasp can only control flies. It doesn't swarm around, doesn't sting the horses, doesn't, you, know, you don't even notice it because it's nocturnal. And it hops around and burrows in organic matter and it, will find the last fly pupa in the, in the crevices of a horse stall.
0: Wow, and so there just aren't any flies around because they've all been consumed as a host for right. the, the beneficial insect. Right, yeah.
1: so and in, the- in, that, in that understanding we have with those pest managers at the horse race tracks, uh, they are so motivated to have no flies, yeah. probably way more than the cattle ranches and the dairies and the poultry and every other every other place that has lots of flies. But people with expensive horses, yeah, you know, and the public coming to see them are the most highly motivated, and they buy enough to make sure. And start early because proactive uh, release is really important with all of our programs to start before you have a big program and let the first sign of the pest be a resource for growing more during that pest season. And
2: then in context of uh, IPM, there's uh, four uh, life stages of the, the fly, the egg, larva, pupa, and adult. And so our little wasps go after the pupil stage. So we That's need true. to encourage the um, uh, the um, uh, racetrack managers to um, also put pressure on the uh, egg, larva, and adult stage. So for the egg and larva stage, they just manage the manure so there's not too much of it around, or that it's not available to the um, uh, to grow flies in, and then they they trap the adult flies,
0: yeah, so we show uh, fly traps too, <laughs> okay well, all right now, so if I were to reflect back what I'm hearing, it's like what you've done is figured out how if there wasn't an overabundance of all this nature would work on its own but because it gets trapped in certain places like where you have horses with lots of manure they are working against the natural ability to regenerate so you're intervening in a way that you step right in go with how nature goes and then it's all back in balance am i hearing that correctly
1: all right, so I would say instead of an intervention, it's just adding
0: more of the good guys. Ah, very good. All right. So, so we're, we're
2: taking care of the past by promoting more life.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. More life. Right. Yeah. So one of the things as you both well know that we used to talk about regeneration is where we increase the capacity of something to live as it is seeking to live and to evolve in the context it's in. Can you speak to, but this isn't just the capacity of just the system, but even the people who are running the, uh, even your customers, their capacity to understand, do you think they get smarter about how nature actually works from working with you? And how do you know that?
1: Mm, I love that question. <laughs> it's one of the most thrilling parts of our jobs is, uh, well, first of all, hearing when someone calls where they're at with it because some already obviously have a, a knack for biology and a, a, are observant. And then we, we go with where they are. So um, we hear about the next time and they're telling us new things that they've seen. And it, it, you know we have, we have conversations that clearly show a, a, a developing awareness about uh, the, the ecology of their systems. And uh, there are some people that, boy, the first time I hear them, I'm like hoping that they're going to get it. (laughs) And uh, just, you know, it's, uh, there's such a mindset in our culture to just nuke it, you know, and to take the easy way out and to not have any awareness about the biology. And so we we do our best, you know, and we try to frame the information where they can take what they can from it, but there's all range of uh, potential there
2: the individual farmers come up to some kind of crisis point where they yeah. decide that oh I, I really need to do something different that the pesticides aren't working as well that that you know my uh, son has got this uh uh, cancer that, you know, may have been caused by the chemicals that I'm using. Uh, they could uh, see the uh, the pollution in the bay, you know, from the uh, the pesticides.
1: And there, but, there's the new uh, uh, opportunity with the uh, legalization of cannabis, where we know that there's some pesticides they're using for mite control that should not be especially for medical marijuana. Oh. Uh, it's quite, quite concerning for us. And so we actually connected with some people at the summit who want to work with us to try and, and get these marijuana growers off of, off of some of these pesticides.
2: And so if, uh, just continuing, there's um, um, these farmers will call us and, and say, I need some ladybugs to control the pest. And then we talk to them and realize, no, ladybugs is probably the last thing that you need. So we talked to them about uh, uh, the beneficial insects that would work for their pest and their crop. And then, oh, and uh, if you're going to be putting out these beneficial insects, you need to have some place for them to to be um, in the field, you know, when the crop's not in the field. So you need to plant a row of flowering plants here. And uh, if you're, um, um, if you you would uh, switch to using compost, you know, then um, for your fertility, then uh, that will help to support the beneficial insects in the soil. And so over a period of years then, you know, we, we talked to them about all these different aspects of, of a program of working with nature. And then one time we'll get a call and they'll uh, say, I really appreciate you working with me and helping me to get off of the pesticides and uh, start farming, you know, biologically.
1: One, one guy, one walnut grower in Northern California said, Wow, it's so great to leave a sprayer rig in the in the in the shed. I, farming is fun again. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, uh, so
2: great. So we get these uh, this this incredible feedback <laughs> occasionally that just you know um uh warms our hearts and and, mm-hmm. and and makes us feel oh yeah this mm-hmm. is all worth it mm-hmm. and all these crazy conversations with people trying to you know nudge them you know towards towards you know sustainability and towards regenerative uh systems you know uh so give,
0: in, me, give me another story that is connected maybe more directly to food because one of the things one of the honors that we gave you was that you're helping people be really, really regenerative and how food is grown and so we got a little sense of how you're helping um you know a business and then there's fiber which your 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 father started with jan and then there's food um can you tell us a food story?
1: It's interesting uh, our relationship to organic agriculture. Um, um, it's across the board um, with uh, pest problems on organic farms, and uh, many figure it out on their own where they don't even need our stuff, and uh, they'll just uh, and they'll really use local resources with the extension. I don't know. But some of the biggest organic farms use uh, beneficial organi- insects in two ways. One is uh, when they're transitioning a conventional chemical farm over to, to biological. And we know some growers that will just inundate with green lacewing. Green lacewing is a general predator. Uh, this has been done a lot in the grapes, in the vineyards, table grapes, wine grapes. Um, to uh, start building the biodiversity, they are doing cover crops in between the rows, they're doing everything else right, Uh, but they just need an extra, like they're applying our lacewood kind of like a pesticide in a way, they're just like really putting it on there in order to get through, because the first three years of transition of a chemical farm is going to have pest flare-ups until you get more natural enemies built up in the area. Uh, there are some other it's the bigger organic farms that use a lot of our products especially for aphid control. So um, those that are growing especially the coal crops, the cabbage uh, uh, broccoli, uh, yeah. kale, yeah. Um and there there's a there's well two main uh beneficials the green lacewing and a little aphid midge that um that are good for for aphids.
0: Let me ask you another question because you know you guys are doing amazing things which are a very small percentage of all that's happening in agriculture Are there people that you're trying to help get into this business or are you trying to scale your business? I mean, how do we move faster? What it is you're providing in the world or do we need to? Oh, we,
1: we are so, we so desperately need to, and not only to scale bigger, but to, uh, I think probably also regionalize, um, And there are two aspects of that. One is um, the push, as I see it, is going to be when our world and our nation uh, finally get the policies together to put a price on carbon, we have to send our things by overnight, FedEx and UPS. The the cost is already crazy. Uh, I can't even imagine how much it will cost to ship our products as the price of carbon starts to rise. So uh, we're we, like, we have one young entomologist in Louisville that we've been supporting as much as we can. She's a young mom, but we do, you know, she's smart and, and out there wanting to do it. And um, and we collaborate with everyone in the industry to, to build the industry. We We really, um, I'm excited about bringing in summer interns from that have more potential for this. I think it's a good business concept, but this, um, and, uh, for the future, uh, we and really, really w- want to support.
2: And, uh, Jan's father, Everett, uh, Dietrich, uh, we'll referred to him as Deke. Um, his vision was to have, uh, an insectary in every County or every, uh, a uh, uh, large agricultural growing area that would supply the beneficial insects for the local farms and so they could be targeted there would be uh, uh, the best uh, variety of insect that would uh, do the job on the local pest mm-hmm. and in the local conditions that often we find that that uh, some beneficials do better you know when it's hotter and more humid and others are uh, better when it's where it's cooler and more moderate. And and so uh, finding the, the local uh, ecotype or the local um, locally adapted strain of the insect, you know, would uh, make them more effective. And then uh, for larger quantities of, of insects, those um, local neighborhood insectaries could be networked to supply large quantities of beneficial insects, you know, uh-huh. when when the need
1: arose. <laughs> and there was a fellow that I met at the summit. Uh, the fellow that uh, makes the cranberry juice, right. that organic, that fan- amazing, <laughs> that amazing cranberry juice. And uh, he comes up to me, and I I said cranberry fireworm. He <laughs> said, yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> he he's just looking at me, kind of helpless. And I said. Yeah, I, I've grown trichogramma for that. It's an egg parasite. And uh, uh, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if the commercially available strains will work on your farm. If you're interested, we could explore. I have trichogramma sting cages, and we could. I could teach you how to grow. In, and if, if you're willing to go look for parasitized fireworm eggs, we could we could set you up as a model for growing your own strain of of, of egg parasite on your pest on your farm.
0: Yeah. Wow. So the, the, you made some good business connections at the summit. It sounds like <laughs> <laughs> we, <Yeah>. we,
2: we, <laughs> did. we did. <laughs> go from
0: Where's cranberries that? to marijuana.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so so there's these there's two different styles of of insectaries. There's there's the uh, commodity insect. Uh, um, that are used in in really broad scale agriculture, you know, like glacewing and trichogramma and fly parasites. And then there's the more boutique uh, cultures. Uh, uh, With the uh, fly parasites, we grow about 4 million of those every day, but then we grow about 1,500 of these, this little ladybug that eat scale a week. And so it's a dramatically different scale, but then we, we sell these little ladybugs, you know, three for a dollar. So they're pretty pricey, but they, they do a good job eating scale. And so there's lots of opportunities for people to pick up these these cultures of these beneficial insects will um, uh, uh, fulfill a niche a niche in the um, in the market. And so you know it could be a good uh, uh, cottage industry if you know for a um, husband and wife team.
0: So, how do you keep getting smarter? I mean, clearly, over the years since <laughs> you started this, you've figured out a lot of things. I mean, I, I hear you describing an incredibly different kind and number and nature of engagements and partnerships with nature. How is it you come to understand how nature works? and get better and better at that. What does that process look like for you? I want to say the customer
1: first. Ron's here whispering to me, the universities, whatever.
2: And the the farmers. I, I
1: think all the years that I was answering the phone is where, I mean, when somebody's got that kind of a problem and you can help them not use toxic stuff, it's so motivating. So you just want to figure it out. You'd go to the internet, you'd go, I had my dad for years and just like go and he would pull all his old books off the shelf and I still have them all, um, you know, all, all these resources and his way of thinking too, his way of sleuthing out, um, he he could remember, a, he had some knowledge of what in agroecology was like before DDT Ah. and so he was like oh and he'd like go to the really old books where he saw oh there was 80 percent parasitism on cucumber beetle in California before DDT let's I'll bet you there's still some somewhere and I, I followed that that amazing guy around where he would just stop at every every untreated alfalfa field and go sweeping his sweeping net, and thinking about, you know, what's out there because in his work at the university, he learned firsthand that all the insects of irrigated agriculture in California are in alfalfa fields. So that's part of how he learned. And then I learned watching him, you know, uh, in this kind of uh, uh, research, you know, and uh, question, uh, uh, inquiry in, into what might be operating in a, a particular ecosystem. And, uh, you know, what, and then all the times when we would take a difficult question to him, we, you know, he could call us the girls. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh. Uh, so the girls would like take the calls, and every but every customer that already knew what they wanted, that was great. Okay. 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 And then uh we come across something. Oh, <laughs> not sure about that. Let's see if deke's around. And so we go over. We put him on the speakerphone because he had hearing aids, and and uh, and he'd start in on this, and he. He could ask so many questions of the customer that you felt like he was walking with that person in their farm or field. Uh, it was just a co-discovery over the phone, and and then he would take them to where, and then he would hear back. Did they have a knack for this, and how respond, how they were responding, and he would come up with what he knew they could implement that would move them forward, and. Very often, that the wrapping up of the conversation was well, because people would often like wonder, well, if I put all all of these, are they going to go crazy, and you know are we going to get out of balance in another in the wrong direction and uh, fear, fearful you know of of a, of a, of, a, of an extreme intervention and and he would always console them and clarify and bring them to this and with this statement that food drives all these systems and in in the context of everybody uh, each discussion it was like a huge you could you could see the light bulb go off over the phone that oh i've got it you know if they don't have something to eat they're not going to reproduce they're going to die they're going to fly away it's all going to you know, come into the balance that nature wants.
2: And what we're finding more and more is, is that largely the farmers are pushing the understanding of the biology and ecology. And uh, they're taking, you know, some general um, biology from the university and then just doing their own observations and applications on their mm-hmm. farms. And so talking with the farmers is where we get, you know, the most valuable information. What's working for you? How are you approaching this? You know, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, our, our, you know, 20 questions, you know, to find out, you know, what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, yeah. and, you know, what are the, the, the influences on the pest control? Then, then um, you know, uh, we're able to um, glean a huge amount of, of experiential, you know, kind of vicarious mm-hmm. experiential information, you know, by our conversations with them.
1: But but I have to say that the internet has been a huge boom for this. It is a massive, massive amount of information. And now, like, there's no excuse. <laughs> Anybody can, like, look at a pest, go describe it, like, orange and black stripes, quarter-inch long, da-da-da, and then go to Google Images, and there it is. And they can, you know, go from there. It, we didn't used to have that.
0: Yeah. So I have um one last question for you. I mean, this, this I can talk to you guys all day. I, I'm just fascinated. I'm
1: so happy we're good to having this conversation and really, really
0: appreciate the opportunity, Carol. Oh, I think you guys are magnificent. One of the things we talk a lot about with regeneration is that we tend to, when we're not thinking regeneratively, kind of do a shotgun. Well, let's try a little of this, try a little of that, which is the opposite of what you just described, which is getting down and looking at how it works. Here's the working of all those engagements. We talk about learning to do that is learn to become nodal. Figuring out where is the best way to join with, engage with, step into, and how in the world did either you, your father, or where you are now figure out, and how would you describe what you're doing as kind of a nodal way of engaging with how things really work?
1: You know, of all the principles, that's that one and and, uh, how to be more aware of our essence are the two, you know, that where I'm learning so much from you. And that, you know, what occurs to me in the context of the conversation we're having is that I attended a a conference uh, in Wenatchee. It was the Washington State Horticulture Association annual meeting. There was a fellow there, Dr. Dr. John Brown, I think his name was Dr. Brown, and he was talking about the codling moth and the apples and uh, using the beneficial insects. And his the whole point of his talk was um, use a uh, a, a three-pronged approach. It's not a shotgun, but it's still a considered approach. Don't just rely on one. There, you know, Beneficial insects will never be a silver bullet, but he would say, okay, look at your pheromone mating disruption, and then Maybe you can do, like some of the growers use a black light to attract the moths or they put nematodes in the soil where the moths, uh, the caterpillars drop to do part of their life cycle. Um, uh, there's there's usually half a dozen different things that science would suggest might make sense. Pick at least three of those. Um, and and prioritize them and stage them according to like, whoa, here's another example is, where I visited in Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan, the World Bank took me there to look at their cotton after the fall of the Soviet Union. They had a biological, uh, area-wide biological control program covering what's now like four or five countries. And they started with um, they're monitoring, which is key, knowing what, when, what's happening in the cotton field with your pests, then your release of your egg parasite, then, because it's never 100 percent, then release your larval parasite, which they grew. Then some of those are still going to become caterpillars feeding on the cotton. Then they grew their own bacillus thuringiensis spray. Spray those and make them sick and die. And they had even a fourth line of defense with a virus that they would, they would take all, all the sick caterpillars and grind them up and make a spray. Yeah. <laughs> to give, give any survivors a virus attack. So um, that's not shotgun,
0: is it? No, that's a very staged. I mean, it's very thoughtful about where do you enter and how do you progress? In a way that you understanding how these things are nested, which is a generative concept. Right. I think that's a beautiful example. And
2: it's it's selecting your nodal point for that dynamic moment in time and development of the crop in the past.
0: Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, I know people are going to want to find you. They're going to want to talk with you about their farms and their food and their uh, tracks and whatever else <laughs> that they need help with. So let's tell people uh, how they can find you. What, what would be the best way? Do you have a website they can look at first? Yes,
1: it's no, <laughs> com. It's all one word, R-I-N-C-O-N-V as in victory, I-T-O-V-A rinconvitova.com
0: and i'll put that also on the uh keyword so that people can find it okay. and if they want to call you and order immediately how do they do that we have an 800
1: number 248 bugs
0: four <laughs> eight bugs i like that That's it's awesome.
1: 482847 and we have actually two facebook pages a group page and a follower page and i we tweet some not like we could but bug farmer, uh, farmer at bug farm at bug farm Rincon is our Twitter handle mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, uh, but you know and, and we what, have a, uh, a YouTube
2: channel for uh, both the insectary and then our nonprofit uh, Dietrich Institute uh-huh. so we can uh, see some videos uh, yeah. on uh, uh, YouTube.
0: And what's the best way to find you on YouTube? What, what's the name of the channel? Yeah, um the um, Green by Tova channel. Search
2: okay. RV Insectories, I think it is.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. RV Insectories. Mm-hmm. Then, okay. you know, call that number and uh, it, humans answer the phone. Okay. And uh, also, you know, for email, um, if you know, I, I would say that our best email is order desk At rinconvitova.com and that's how a lot of our communication is now. Uh, People ask a question, they say they have a problem, uh, then we can call them.
2: And then our main uh, um, email address for uh, general questions and pest control questions would be uh, bugnet, B-U-G-N-E-T, at rinconvitova.com.
0: Wow, well, I hope that people can see why our very prestigious panel of judges not only named you on the first round as the honoree for the fooding stream, but saw you as the overall global honorees that most represented being on a path, a very serious path, of moving into and deeply beyond regeneration. So thank you so much for joining me, and uh, I wish you the best.
2: Okay, and we. Uh have to kind of defer a little bit that it was Jen's father Everett Dietrich, that uh, set up the, the company and uh, had the path and the direction of this vision of an agriculture that works with nature and that uh, set up these relationships these cooperative relationships with other insectaries and with training uh, the next generation of, of, of insectary uh, managers that that we We owe much of the praise.
0: Well, we're all very grateful for the work that he did, and we're grateful to the two of you for carrying it on and handing it on as you go. Thank you. Yeah. Something.
1: (laughs) I want to tell you how grateful we are to you. What you're doing is so important in this world, and whatever we can do to help spread, and we've learned so much from. discovering that we're exemplary uh, of these principles and how,
0: you know, how we can communicate about them and do better. Well, it's my pleasure. I am glad to have you both in my life and I look forward to more. Okay. Thank you much.